0: Okay, all right, I think my mic is on. Hi, welcome. (laughs) Uh, My name is Keo Collier. I report on the environment for the Texas Tribune. Um, Thanks for sticking around for the last panel of the day. Uh, On behalf of the Texas Tribune, I'm thrilled to welcome you to the sixth annual Texas Tribune Festival and to this panel, What's Next on Water. Uh, You might have already discovered a goodie on the side of your seat, um, but if not, you should take a look. Um, The South by Southwest Eco Conference has donated some um, tickets to their event that's taking place in Austin October 10th through 12. Um, uh, and that's uh, something they've generously provided. So you might be one of the lucky six. Um, uh, a few housekeeping things before we start. Uh, this panel is supported by um, the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment. Um, but you should know that underwriting sponsors and donors played no role in determining uh, the questions I'll ask or uh, picking our fabulous panelists. <laughs> Uh, And I'll uh, introduce him now. Um, Down at the end, we have uh, Mr. Charles Perry, a Republican from Lubbock, uh, who's represented Senate District 28 in the legislature since 2014. Um, He serves as chairman of the Senate Agriculture, Water, and Rural Affairs Committee, uh, which considers all water-related legislation originating in the Senate. Um, He also serves on the criminal justice, health and human services, and higher education committees. Um, Previously, he served in the Texas House and has served as president of the Lubbock Boys and Girls Club. Um, to his right is uh, Ms. Laura Huffman. Uh, she's the director of the Nature Conservancy in Texas uh, where she heads a team of conservation experts whose work protects the integrity of Texas's <laughs> natural resources and some of its most iconic landscapes. Um, she also heads the Conservancy's North America, American Urban Conservation Program. And she's become a, festi- a Tribune Festival staple, um, <laughs> providing expertise on lots of panels. Um, before joining the Conservancy, she spent 20 years in city management. Uh, To her right is uh, Mr. Sid Miller, who was elected Agriculture Commissioner in 2014. Uh, The Republican previously served six terms in the Texas House. Uh, During his tenure there, Miller chaired the Agriculture and Livestock Committee uh, and authored the state's well-known abortion sonogram law. Uh, As Agriculture Commissioner, he's created a special water office within his agency um, and makes sure his office has a presence at all regional water planning group meetings. Uh, Miller says he's the only statewide official talking about rainwater catchment. Uh, which I hope we'll get to discuss today. Um, to his right is Mr. Beck Brun, um, who's served on the Texas uh, Water Development Board since 2013. Um, he was named chairman in 2015 by Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, he also serves as the board's designated appointee to the Texas Environmental Flows Advisory Group. Uh, previously, Brune served as the director of gov- uh, governmental appointments and then Governor Rick Perry's administration. As chairman of the Water Board, he's overseen the rollout of a voter-approved water fund uh, and the adoption of a new state water plan. Uh, Mr. Jason Isaac, uh, last but not least, a Republican from Dripping Springs, um, who's represented House District 45 in the legislature since 2011. Uh, He's a member of the House Environmental Regulation, Local and Consent Calendars, and Economic Mm -hmm. and Small Business Development Committees. Um, Isaac is the founder of the Texas House's Hill Country Caucus, uh, and he got a crash course in water law and politics <laughs> last session uh, when his constituents demanded legislation to deter a controversial uh, water development project uh, in Wimberley. Um, our discussion today will last 60 minutes, uh, and there will be a brief period at the end for Q and a, about fifteen to 20 minutes. Uh, there will be microphones right here and here that you can all direct you to line up uh, for questions and, before we get going, I'll ask you to please silence your cell phones uh, and also use the hashtag TTF if you'll be tweeting or Facebooking. Um, I'll jump right into questions. First, um, kind of a sort of scene setter. Um, in the past you know, year and a half or so, we've had the opposite problem with water that we had five years ago. We've had devastating flooding across the state. Um, and uh, you know, I understand it's kind of largely a local issue or the argument could be made for that. Um, But I first wanted to ask our panel, you know, how should and how is the state responding to this new water problem uh, and balancing it with a lingering kind of water security or water shortage um, issue? Chairman Bruin, do you want to start us off with that?
1: Sure. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate Mm -hmm. the opportunity to be here. Really, uh, if you take a look at the history of, of our agency, we were established by the legislature in 1957, At the time, in response to to the drought of record uh, that covered the early part of the 1950s, you look at uh, the state water plan and and the passage of Senate Bill 1 in 1997 uh, that established what we we refer to now as a bottoms up approach to how we develop our state water plan with 16 regions involved. That action was taken largely in response to drought at the time and then of course the uh, passage of House Bill 4 in 2013 that put proposition six on a ballot statewide that was passed by voters that moved two billion dollars into this new swift fund that um, that has been very successful was on the heels of 2011 the worst one-year drought in recorded texas history so um, drought is going to happen texas is a land of perennial drought that's interrupted by the occasional devastating flood has been said before But the positive is that uh, if you go again over the, if you look back over the course of of the history of our agency, the legislature has has stepped up and and taken advantage of of what we learned, have learned in the past from drought, just to to, uh, either provide new programs or give us new opportunities to make sure we can prepare ourselves for the next drought.
0: And you guys are providing some funding or making some rule changes (laughs) to make funding available, is that right? Can you describe?
1: Well, through, uh, through which, any particular program? Not
0: SWIFT, but something else,
1: right? Well, uh, so you know, the SWIFT program is our newest program, but it's, it's one of several that we have. Uh, we have the uh, tremendous amount of, of, of loaning capacity uh, through our ability to sell both general obligation and self-supporting revenue bonds. We have uh, two programs that are, that are funded by an annual cap grant from the EPA. We call our SRF, State Revolving Fund Programs. Uh, one of those, the rules were changed this year to be able to uh, use SRF funds to provide flood control projects or to loan for flood, for flood control projects. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that as well as uh, an emergency appropriation that was directed late last year to the board to put towards, in particular, uh, early warning systems as in response to the floods of mainly of last year in particular. Um, we've, we've got some, some, uh, some new programs, some new opportunity on that front as well.
0: And, Chairman Perry. Yeah, you know,
2: to kind of dovetail a little bit of that, uh, when the floodings were occurring, I had a bridge out over my eastern part of my district, uh, so that highlights a different issue. We've got some dam and some other bridge and road work that we need to consider as Texas as far as a long-range planning. Secondly, when those were occurring, Lieutenant Governor, and, and kind of at the same time with me, uh, we, we need to look at our flood control systems. We had some discussions <clears throat> in the interim. But I think our interim report will go ahead and vet that out, that we need to make that a priority from a, a, a diversion channel. We, we, you and I talked a little earlier that you've got rivers that obviously, if you could flow and, and divert to the diversion channels, tanks, or even storage in the ground, makes more sense. And I still see it as even a contiguous state, such as Louisiana, where we got some things there. I think that's a federal slash Corps of, Eng- Corps of Engineers discussion, <coughs> where maybe we could salvage some economic loss and at the same time fill up some aquifers for fresh water from the future. So it, we haven't done a real lot of uh, investigating that in Texas and, and exploring that <clears throat> opportunity, but I think after these floods, you know, we kind of react, but I, the good news is we're reacting, and I think you'll see some some movement towards funding some of those flood control ideas, as well as hoping to talk to some of our contiguous states that seem to be in a recurring flood state mm-hmm. to where we can take advantage of those waters, and, and what that discussion looks like, I don't know, but... It's something I hope that we as a state and some of the legislatures, we can go and meet with those other people.
0: You told me before the panel, your committee will soon maybe recommend state funding for flood control projects. Is that right? There's already
2: a state funding plan out there. It's basically on the local level. and additional? the is Additional funding, yeah. but I mm-hmm. think it's really more of a bigger part of a statewide water plan that possibly could take some water that's being wasted, uh, lots and lots of acre feet flow out that we didn't need in the estuaries to keep them balanced. We can be capturing and keeping those, and that'll be a part of that flood control. Statewide water, water plan is not a flood control plan, but I think flood control plan mm-hmm. has a role inside the statewide water plan.
0: Mm-hmm. Commissioner
3: Miller. One, one of the things that we're, we're still, even though we have abundant range and a lot of our reservoirs are full, we're still focused on the drought of record and how to deal with that because the next one will, will, will be worse because a lot of the lake levels, the, the conservation level has been... Uh, raised on those lakes so there's going to be less water even in the next drought available <laughs> downstream for our, for our farmers. So we're working with like uh, uh, river authorities like the Colorado River Authority to do off-channel storage and that is earmarked specifically for, for agriculture. Uh, we had, uh, prior to that drought, we had 600,000 acres of rice uh, being farmed in Texas uh, down in the, in the coastal plains. Uh, that fell to 100,000. We lost a half a million acres of rice. A lot of jobs and opportunity and, and economic uh, uh, productivity with that is, is gone. So, we're working uh, to do that. We're also uh, uh, part of the emergency management response team. These these uh, small counties and cities that have suffered flood damage uh, from the previous two Memorial Day incidents, uh, we, we're the agency that comes in and helps them rebuild their roads and their bridges and put the culverts back in and clean up debris. We're not a first responder. We're not really a second responder. We're kind of the, the last leg. We come in with, with funding and, and help, help those communities to rebuild their, their communities. So that's uh, the immediate uh, needs are, are met.
0: Representative Isaac, Wimberly was obviously hit really hard by flooding. Do your constituents feel like the state is done enough or they need more help?
4: Or- uh, the, I think they're satisfied with the progress that we're making. We've added new flood control monitors along with our partners in the Water Development Board have, have helped these communities put in early detection warning systems that weren't there before that resulted in this devastating flood. You had 16 lives lost. Um, homes swept off their foundation that are now being rebuilt, which is, is nice to see that Wimberly coming back together and recovering from that devastating flood. Uh, But I think that we're making progress. And so when it happens again, there will be much earlier warnings so that our first responders can get out to these homes uh, quicker than they were last time, which there was great cooperation between the two counties, between Blanco County and and Hayes County to alert people. Uh, Unfortunately, we just couldn't get to all of them in time. And so I think these early warning systems are going to help.
0: Gotcha. Chairman Bruin, you referred to kind of the age-old stereotype of Texas being in perpetual state of drought and punctuated by devastating flooding. But um, I just wonder if the panel thinks this is you know, a new normal? Is this climate change at work, as many scientists say, um, or is it a part of that normal cycle that you referenced? Commissioner Miller, you've had some revelations about climate change recently. Do you want to okay. take this one first? Well,
3: which one are you asking <laughs> first?
0: You, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> well, you know, I'm, I'm an eighth generation farmer and rancher, and we came here in the 1700s. So, you know, we're always battling the, uh, you know, the, the elements of the weather, whether it be drought or too much rain. or Hailstorm storm or, or pestilence, but, uh, you know, the, the low commodity prices is, is what is uh, affecting the uh, farm income right now, but uh, the best cure for low commodity prices is low commodity prices, so uh, that we'll eventually work through, through the glut. We're, for, as farmers, we're kind of our own worst enemy. We, we overproduce uh, uh, to make up for a shortfall in revenue, and, and we're very good at it, and I'm proud that, that we are, uh, but, yeah, that's, that's pretty much uh, uh, where we are on that.
0: So all this devastating flooding is part of a normal cycle,
3: or? It's not, it's, you know, it's something that, that agriculture and family farms uh, that we deal with constantly. And that's, you know, we, we try to mitigate that as much as possible by purchasing, purchasing uh, crop insurance and crop diversity and, and crop rotation and uh, try to limit our, our risk as, as much as possible.
0: Ms. Hoffman, we haven't heard from you yet. You want
5: weigh in on that. Well, I, we obviously think the cycle is getting tighter and tighter and that you're seeing, you know, floods, back to, floods and droughts are just bookending each other now. I think as a practical matter, when you look at Texas cities, uh, they're having to address these issues head on. As it relates to what we're doing with water planning in Texas and water supplies, what I think is really important to say right now is that we've actually institutionalized conservation as a strategy in the financing of water supply projects. It was institutionalized when voters passed uh, the Senate bill uh, and uh, and the agency, to its credit, uh, established in rulemaking that conservation would be a bare minimum of 20%. So it's a, it is a floor, not a ceiling, which we thought was very important. And I also think it's important to say that that $2 billion is going to revolve. So we're going to be spending that money. It'll revolve into, I don't know what the current estimate is, but over $20 billion over the next 20 years. Over the next 20 years, we're going to spend over $20 billion with a bare minimum of 20% going to conservation. Those decisions have been made. And I think that it, so for me, what's important about that is that decision does not matter as to this year's weather pattern. We've already made that decision as a state. What really matters is how at the local level, we institutionalize the uh, projects themselves. It's now time to figure out how we incorporate conservation into water supply projects. And I think we're in a little bit of a shift here as, local, as cities and local utilities try and conceptualize how that money could be incorporated into a water supply project.
0: Mm-hmm. Chairman Perry, is your committee's request for additional flood control dollars at all based in the notion that floods are gonna happen more? Yeah.
2: Climate change occurs. We know climate change is changing now that we can have a big, great discussion how much carbon and all this other stuff is. But Texas is a big state, and it may be drought in, in one section of the state, and it may be flooding in others. I think some of the flooding is is we've got a large urban area now that didn't exist 50 years ago. And the more concrete and the more urban you have, the more less water can absorb. And so just lots of contributing factors there. But, yeah, I think our weather patterns in Texas – the old adage, if you don't like it today, stay around, it'll be different tomorrow, mm-hmm. is true. And it's just where we sit geographically, I think, it's just something we have adapted to in the agriculture and producers. We know that it's going to rain every two or three years really good, and it's going to be in a drought. So is it, is it something we've planned for in the state water plan? We've planned for the worst drought record. In the times that we have flooding, if we do these things on the flood control, and that, that money is going to be to study, what that might look like as far as diversion channels, where they're appropriate, where we're not going to hurt the estuary system, where it makes sense, and where would you put that? Would it be in a diversion pond or would it be in an aquifer that's close? Handy, last session, bill was passed, where you can now store water in an aquifer if it makes sense to do it for future recovery. That makes all the sense in the world. So we can fix the flooding problem, a little, or I mean, we can handle the flooding problem better to where it doesn't have the economic damage if we just follow through on some of these initiatives that I think we're all in agreement to.
5: I want to jump onto something there, because I like the idea of incorporating, thinking about flooding into the state water <clears> plan, <throat> and I think we could incorporate other important items in there as well. For example, energy. Um, we could take a closer look at where energy supplies are going to be and what water they require as, as a way of understanding whether or not water will be available. Agriculture is the same mm-hmm. way, and, and I-, I think that if we use water as the entry point, we could look at energy Agriculture and water.
2: Absolutely, and you know the big discussion last session was: Do a uh, utility get a preference during a drought? And, mm-hmm. and the legislature, I think, in their wisdom said, "No, everybody sells uh, shares equally in the pain." But if you had the facilities in place to where you could store that water just specific for utility right. use in that region, now you've hit a home run. So well, it's just just lots of good, good right. ideas floating around.
3: I, I, think, I think Chairman Perry brought up a good point. It's because we lose. Uh, average of one farm a month in Texas to, to urban sprawl, and we, we're getting a lot more asphalt and concrete, and our cities uh, spend millions and millions of dollars on stormwater drainage, which is a huge liability for them, and that's why you mentioned in, a, in the introductions that uh, I'm a proponent of rainwater catchment or rainwater harvesting, mm-hmm. and it's been around a long time. It's not a new uh, uh, industry. I mean, it's the kind of way West Texas was settled. Uh, out there with, with cisterns and catching the water off the roofs and things like that. But we can go in and, and a large industrial building or a university like this, or even a homeowner, it works, and capture that water and, and uh, store it, use it for irrigation or manufacturing or industry. And, and if you want to use it for drinking water, it's relatively pure. Put a carbon filter on it and clean it up. Uh, so we're, we're promoting that in our urban areas. Some cities are doing a real good job of it. Austin is, is pretty progressive on that. We have other cities that are still not on board. The trouble the, the is they're, they're in the business of selling water, not saving mm-hmm. water, so we have to ch- change that mindset mm-hmm. and, and get them on board uh, uh, to get ready for, and, you know, that also helps with, with flood controls if we, we just capture that
4: and, and use it. And I'll tell you another reason why they're not getting on board is we have some of our schools that are in uh, House District 45 that are using rainwater collection in the schools. But the reason a lot of the homeowners are not and the businesses are not is because it increases the value of their property, which hits them at their property taxes. So last session, I filed a bill to allow, not to mandate, but to allow the counties to offer an exemption for that valuation that the rainwater collection system increases. It was something that our county commissioners in Hayes County were coming to us and say, we want to do this. We want to encourage conservation by allowing this, but it it didn't even get to a committee hearing in Ways and Means, and I'll be back with that next session, but I'd like to give our counties the authority to do it, not mandate that they do it. Mm -hmm. That would require a constitutional amendment. Those are difficult, but I'd just like to give the counties the authority to be able to offer a property tax exemption for that increased valuation rainwater collection. I think we will see that that opportunity grows significantly throughout the states that
3: more and more people would put it on.
0: You plan to file legislation. I do, yeah. yes, I
3: think, so I'll file I the think same that bill. Would be great. And another thing that, that we're encouraging and working with a lot of a lot of developers, it's kinda of, kind of a new uh, innovative way, is is capturing gray water when a new mm-hmm. subdivision goes in to, right. to separate the gray water from the from the sewer water and use that and recirculate it using a park area or or a green belt or something like that, and that that seems to be catching on, and that that should help again with our stormwater runoff and 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 the uh, the cost of doing business and in, in, in uh, recycling our water. You know, I just hosted a, a delegation from Israel this week. They were they've been here for ten days, and uh, they recycle eighty percent of their water. I mean, they take one drop of water and get two out of it, and we need to. You know, there's a lot we can learn from those guys over there. They're, it doesn't rain for like uh, nine months over there, yet they can yeah. grow some of the best crops in the world.
0: Realistically, though, how, you know, big of a role can these alternative sources play in, in the state's water supply? Chairman Bruin, do you want to talk about that and maybe dovetail into the new state water plan? And
1: Sure. Uh, I, they play a very important role. And uh, as, as was mentioned, we have just adopted the new, our newest state water plan. So the 2017 State Water Plan is our process is that we, uh, we revise and adopt a new plan every five years. It's always looking 50 years out. Uh, we learned a lot from 2011, and I think that you see that really manifested now in the new plan for the first time. Um, in particular, conservation and reuse strategies that represented roughly 34% of total future volumes in the last plan now represent over four, about 45%. It was the single largest increase. Of any particular type of strategy. Reuse includes both indirect and direct potable reuse. We're talking about water management strategies, so water, new water supply strategies that will be brought online in the future. But you continue to see uh, desal, both brackish and seawater desalination. You see aquifer storage and recovery. Uh, so, I mean, a little bit of everything. It, it, you see a very diversified plan, and um, that's important. And I, I would expect that the, the percentages assigned to the strategies that you would consider to be innovative will um, are, are becoming proven, and you're going to see them increase over time.
0: The state water plan continues to be based around um, the 1950s drought of record. And I, one thing I wanted to ask you and others is, you know, should we continue to assume that that drought of record is as bad as it's ever going to get?
1: Well, um, it's uh, there have been worse droughts. You know, if you go back into the 1400s and you know site studies that talk about tree rings et cetera, uh it's not that we we don't believe there's ever been a worse drought but we know that was an exceptionally prolonged drought it was about and, the length and we have and it was in a time where we were actually able to collect real data so so big picture when we're talking about our you know our planning process we still feel like it's appropriate to to use that as a baseline and, and the state tcq and their water availability models that are that you know dictate how much water we believe we can actually use from any particular reservoir. Uh, we it's you know we've got a lot of really good information that's tied to that. However, another benefit of our plan, the fact that it's regional, and and it begins with 16 different regional water planning groups at the beginning of each five-year cycle, is that if those regions believe they have new and better data that, that speaks to uh, to a new drought record for their particular area, they can use that and and that can influence their decisions on the different types of strategies or number of strategies they put in their plan. And you saw, uh, I believe, seven of the 16 regional water planning groups believe that they are actually or experienced a new drought of record in this last five years, uh, or going back to 2011. And, uh, and as a result, they, they could effectively overplan or put in you know, more strategies that would potentially bring online more supply as a result. So the, the flexibility is built in. It's adaptive. And, and it's, um, it's up to the regions to start there.
2: And just to add to that, so I know people sitting out there would say we don't do something. We've been working on this. But just to show you the success of the water plan, and, and I have some concerns within the plan, but it's meant for the worst drought on record, so we've chose 50 to 57 to do that. There's not a single municipality in this state, think about this, that went without water during the 2011 drought. Now, there were some that made some them. Got some got Some were 90 back. days, 180 days, <laughs> and some were having some water hauled in. But just to show 27 million people, 254 counties with all the municipalities, that not a single one went dry mm-hmm. because there was a planning mechanism in place. Not perfect, but we were we were on our game. So mm-hmm. So that's an encouragement that we need to make sure... People, and state government does work pretty well sometimes, so. I'm going
0: to come back to you, Chairman Perry. Do you want to weigh in quickly a Yeah, bit? I mean, one of the things uh, that
5: I think is important is these creative strategies, rainwater catchment, all these things uh, are important. And one of the major goals of conservation is to just reduce per capita water use. Yeah. And that's worth saying. Uh, it's not just identifying new water supplies to do the same old things. It's about actually reducing that per capita use. That, That is a fundamental premise that we can never get beyond. Mm -hmm. What I like about these creative strategies is it gives individuals a way to do something Mm -hmm. so that water isn't someone else's problem. People have something that they can do individually, and I think that that's important. And the only way that we'll have enough water to serve 50 million Texans a few decades from now is if we think hard about what every single person can do and also what we can do within the energy and the agriculture sectors in order to get more efficient. Yeah. I mean, that's the puzzle that we're working with
6: here. That
0: reminds me, Commissioner Miller, when we yeah. talked last week, you talked a lot about conservation and how it's important well, to focus and on that over, you know, reservoir building. And you also um, cited a percentage, I think it was 95%. Um, that's the, right. I, that I, the I agriculture industry is 95% efficient with its use of water. <laughs> agriculture where, where is Where's that percentage from? Um, well,
3: it's from his study right here. It's where I got it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Water is, there, Development is, there, Board. is there really
0: that little room for improvement?
6: Yeah. In, Whether, and
3: we're in, always, we're yeah. always trying to improve, you know, but ag- agriculture is, and it's, it's been political fact, ch- checked it, and found that it is true, uh, that we're at 95, and, and the reason for that is in agriculture, our single biggest input if you're an irrigated farmer is, is the cost of getting that water on your crop, so we be very cautious with that. It's our bottom line. We don't waste it. We've, we're, you know, moving to drip irrigation. We move to center pivot. We don't overhead sprinkle hardly I- anymore. Uh, flood irrigation is still done a little bit in the, in the rice, rice fields. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty good at it. We the really big, are.
2: The biggest con- conservation till you can have is the cost, be yep. it municipal or mm-hmm. be it producer or be it industry. When the cost goes up, consumption goes down, and farmers figured that out a long time ago.
0: Chairman can what? you offer any more insight into that percentage? or? Add-
1: I, I believe that the... The accurate characterization of the percentage in the study is to say that irrigated agriculture can be at 95% efficient. It can be. It can be. If you are transitioning from, say, a pivot right. to, to drip or, or LEPA uh, technologies, that you can actually make, uh, make a farmer use that water at that level of efficiency. Um,
0: okay. I, so it's a goal, more of a goal? It, to
1: say that it can be done, um, a, and the commissioner is right, that uh, you know, irrigated uh, conservation, irrigation conservation is is the most important strategy for both for uh, for region A and O that cover the Panhandle, North Plains, Southern Plains, and um, where you're going to see them meet that goal in the future is going to be tra- transitioning from from uh, water you know, traditional practices to more more uh, water efficient uh, strategies and technologies such as a drip and uh, and leap.
3: One of the things this that, really helped in agriculture and in, 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 in water conservation is the genetic engineering or GMOs. Uh, because of that uh, uh, genetic engineering, we can now go to no-till or uh, minimum tillage, which leaves uh, organic matter on top of the soil. And every, every time you turn the soil over, you, you lose uh, uh, moisture and you kill microbes. Uh, so by going to the no-till and, and minimum tillage, we're, we're saving a lot of water. And that organic matter builds up. And, and it's really a good water conservation measure.
0: Mm-hmm. Representative Isaac, like do you see the legislature getting involved in requiring the ag industry, which is the largest user of water by far, to be more efficient I, or something I don't know like about that?
4: requiring. That's, okay. that's not what this legislature, no, no I, don't, I just yeah, don't yeah. see it happening. Yeah, uh, I, I, I see <laughs> passing legislation, like I introduced a bill last session to expand the use of gray water for residential homes mm-hmm. uh, as a direct result of a constituent coming to me and saying, you know, I'd like to be able to reuse my gray water to flush my toilets. Mm-hmm. And it was something in the statute that he absolutely could not do cannot do it all. You couldn't put it in gardens that you were actually going to use to grow food for your home. So I had filed a bill early in the session. Uh, Representative Howard came behind me and stole my bill and actually (laughs) made it better. And she did. She improved on it. And so I grabbed her in the hall one day and I said, hey, what are you doing? Stealing my bills and then making them better. Can I join author yours? And the look on her face was of shock that I actually wanted to work with her. And she got it passed, and I say, we got it passed. She was the lead name on it, I was a joint author, but it it was a good bill, so that people can actually reuse their gray water. So we need to find incentives and opportunities to provide for people, because they were prohibited by statute from doing that, and to me, that's absurd. So we're allowing them to use their own gray water, their own water, to do things around their homes that they couldn't do before, and I think that's where we need to find areas to open markets up to allow farmers and ranchers to to use more of their water and create incentives. But I don't know about requirements. We don't want to drive up the cost of food on farmers because ultimately that's going to impact the least among us more than anyone else. And we've got to be cognizant of any additional regulations or requirements that we put on farmers and ranchers because it would lead to higher costs at the grocery store. And that's the last thing we want to see.
5: Well, here's the other thing about that. It will create a false fight and an unnecessary fight if we start pitting one water user against another water user. And so if you think about it, you, we've got, we're have got we growing our cities. Agriculture is the second largest economy in the state. Uh, we're an independent energy uh, state, and we want to protect the environment because that's the single biggest indicator of whether or not the resource is going to be available a couple of generations from now. So why in the world would we create a circular firing squad between those four users? You know, the trick is to optimize and to make sure that all needs are met. and And each of those sectors has something to contribute when it comes to conservation. And nobody should declare victory because nobody has has solved the problem entirely. But the, the one thing that we should try to do is to get as efficient as we can with the resources we're using now so that we don't have to introduce new water supplies until absolutely necessary. And we've got tons of examples around Texas where that's happened. But the fight, when it, when the conversation is held badly, you end up in California. And if you look at how they're talking about mm-hmm. water and, and responding to droughts, you see what happens when you have a really bad conversation where one sector picks on another sector.
1: Okay. You know, if you look at, uh, we're talking about irrigated, irrigated ag, and if you talk to farmers in the panhandle, I, I don't think for the most part you have to require them, frankly, to do, to do this. They understand, if anyone understands the importance and value of conservation, go talk to a producer in Chairman Perry's district that is, that's drawing water from the Ogallala Aquifer. And you hear conversations you know, at groundwater conservation districts about how they're, they're permitting to, uh, and they use the term managed drawdown that they know that they are using a source that big picture over time is not going to recharge in the same way that uh, some other aquifers in the other parts of the state will and have the benefit of. So, um, you know, you're preaching to the choir when you go talk to, to producers in the panhandle and say, you need to conserve water. I promise you, uh, big Absolutely. picture for the most part, they know that and, and they're working towards that.
0: Um, Chairman Perry, your committee, uh, we've talked a little bit about the state water plan. Your committee's looking at how to improve the state water planning process. Um, and you've indicated a kind of, you know, displeasure with a state water plan in terms of being a realistic document, you know, to meet well, the state's needs. Well, that's a strong word. Um, I would say it was a distaste, but can you elaborate <laughs> and, yeah. and talk about what, if anything, your panel might recommend no, on no, what things? No, no, first of all,
2: the state of Texas and its planning model is ahead of every state in the union. And mm-hmm. and I applaud the state for making that a priority and a process which continually updates water, state of Texas projections in the worst drought. My concern is in some of those regional-wide uh, plans, there are, as an example, I've used this in committee multiple times, there is 26 reservoirs projected to come online in order to meet the worst drought if the next one comes. Anybody that understands reservoir development knows that there are a minimum of 30 and probably 60 years, assuming they can get the lizards, the minnows, and all the other things and in the, in the right of access and all the things that go into a development of a reservoir. And truthfully, where Texas is at, I, I'm just making an observation personally, there's probably not very many prime reservoir locations anymore because of urban sprawl. What used to make a good reservoir location now has cities in it. So my, my whole point with making that commentary in that committee on a couple of occasions was, if we're going to plan for the worst drought, and if our plan has things in it to meet the need, that are not gonna be able to be realistically done or developed or actually occur, then is that a realistic plan for that region? And that's the question and that's where diversion and storage for future use and all those things may be a new tool that we should consider because that's more reality of the day than putting in a dam and getting federal and state approval. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: that's my concern.
0: Okay, We talked a little bit before the panel about groundwater. you know, uh, models, you know, and how they're maybe outdated or need updating. Can you talk about, that's going to be one of the recommendations Sure. Maybe, is uh, well, funding to update those models. The interim committee
2: was, uh, Lieutenant Governor did a good job of hitting all the, the hot buttons of the day, but surface modeling, <laughs> groundwater districts, and, and basically uh, regional water plans. So we went through the gamut of how our water law is kind of structured. And, and, and you know, Mark Twain said it, you know, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. And that's the truest, truest words. On groundwater districts specifically, we have 97 district, uh, if you will, water managers on specific aquifers or systems that are underground. And each of them rule on a local level. And a lot of discussion about whether they're doing that correctly or not. And I would tell you that probably out of 97, there's probably 10 that need some, some encouragement to get back in the box. That a lot of those have now kind of moved to the political setting of permitting instead of science-based permitting. That's another frustration with some of the districts is the science solving. That's
0: solid? 10 of like not having <coughs> yeah. other 80 or 90. Yeah, the either.
2: others, you know, for the most part, and I can use regional, Panhandle, High Plains Water District, the granddaddy of them all. We don't mm-hmm. have any problems out there. Mm-hmm. They get it. They understand their role. Private landowners have their place, and, and, and they keep that balance. But in other parts of the state, probably because of urban and growth and the need for water acquisition and use, those, those boards have become more political in some ways. Uh, water doesn't recognize political boundaries, but a lot of these water district boards are, I would say, a very small part of them are giving the other actors a bad name. Can so you- I think you'll see some districts. and Specifically, I'll give you one example. We've got a situation where a permit has taken over nine years and it's still not issued today for a water use development. That can't be the process. If the science allows for a permit to be established, then it can't be held up. Because what you do is you exacerbate the cost of the permitting to where it's unaffordable. So if if A needs water, B has water, B Water District says we'll give you the water or we won't give you the water, it shouldn't take nine years to make that decision. So that's kind of the stuff that, that we're dealing with at the legislature. What
0: kind of reforms? I mean, like GCDs are pretty late, established in the water code. How would you ch- I think
2: I think or- you'll see permitting discussion. What, what is a reasonable amount of time, assuming science backs it up. Uh, you will have some discussion whether it makes sense to have 97 over in t- the aquifer systems, or whether you could consolidate some of those. That'll be some discussion. Uh, I think you will have legitimate discussion of whether you're a user permit or a landowner permit. And depending where you are, as anything in Texas, we are so diversified. Those make sense in specific areas, but I don't know that water districts know when it's the right permitting strategy. So mm-hmm. you'll have some more of those discussions. But it's complicated, it's political, it's emotional. And at the, at the same time, in, in all cost private landowner <laughs> rights will be protected through those discussions. And I know that sounds a little bit tongue-in-cheek because you've got regulatory, you're going to take something. Well, that's the law is very clear what a taking is or isn't or might, might be. But in the last legislative session, we did have some pretty contentious bills, and they were precedent-setting with respect to landowner rights as far as contract law goes. So you just got to be cognizant of the fact that if you're living in your isolated world as a district... The laws you make don't have a precedent setting for around the state. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you keep that in mind and you keep put landowners first, we can make this work.
5: And if we make sure that the science is as current as possible. possible. Okay. The the science on which all those decisions are made should be updated as frequently as yeah. possible. And, it should and, be and in I think that in yeah. some of the district reforms,
2: what we find is of the 97, there are some that don't have resources to have good science. In the surface modeling, there's a lot of questions whether that science is been updated and there'll be money I think one of the LAR requests will be to update our surface model uh, modeling so that some of these rivers and streams that haven't been updated in 30 years maybe are, are going back and what we've got a problem there is you may be appropriated hundred thousand acre feet only using 50,000 but reality that's all that was in the in the in the stream so you know there's a dis uh, there's an inconsistency with the permit and how much you can actually use and there's a lot of contentious Uh, debate about whether they should be able to move between basins. So a lot of different stuff going on in the water law.
0: Representative Isaac, your big water bill last session expanded uh, a GCD and, um, you know, do you want to weigh in on GCD reform and-
4: No, absolutely, and Senator Perry's right. Water doesn't know political boundaries. And one thing that you look at in the priority groundwater management area that is in the district that I serve, House District 45, Blanco, and Hayes counties, there are nine counties within that PIGMA, priority groundwater management area. There are eight GCDs within that Pigma and there are three that are adjacent. So that's 11 groundwater conservation districts within or around that Pigma. And it's convoluted. They all have different rules. Some of them have ad valorem taxation. Some of them don't. I prefer the ones that do not have ad valorem taxation it uh, a way to find property tax relief. And so I have been <clears throat> working during the interim visiting with the people that I serve and people around the state to talk about the idea. Of some cons- consolidation, where that we really should—we don't split our river authorities up by you know forks and where the river goes—and and we, we've got the Lower Colorado River Authority here, the Guadalupe Blanco River Authority here. But for some reason, or other we've taken this one body of water that's underneath our feet and we've split it up into eleven GCDs just here in this area, ninety-seven through you know just under hundred throughout the state. We've created these little fiefdoms. Some of them are difficult to get permits from, and that shouldn't be the case. I really think we do need some consolidation. I'd be willing to try it here in our district. Let's get rid of all the GCDs and make one large aquifer-based conservation district and maybe give the authority to the Water Development Board. It's something that we need to talk about. So then we could have better science throughout the entire aquifer, not great science in eastern Hayes County and southern Travis County and and decent science out in western Hayes County and no science in western Travis County because there's no district. It, it, and it is. It's you, just you this told, patchwork. You told
0: me last week you were planning on filing legislation. You also said there's no way in hell it's going to pass. So why? <laughs> well, because why it, file it's it? unfortunately, it?
4: it's it would be like trying to get rid of a thousand school districts and combining them into one entity. It's mm. it would never pass, and it's the same thing. But and I, why I violet, then? You why? know why You know, I never thought my bill would pass last session either. So i have i surprised even myself, um, <laughs> it, and I'm I'm hopeful. That we can come together, but there are going to be these 11 fiefdoms that are out there that want to protect it, themselves because they're. It people had a
2: good amendment on
4: it. It did. That's yes. why I got passed. It, yes, <laughs> it, did. It, it did. It needed some straightening out, and, and we do. We work well across sure, yeah. the halls, and, and yeah. it was great to work together to get that done. And now, we're, our concerns are that this one district may be going beyond what we passed as to, because I was adamant <laughs> that we protect private property rights and also limit the ability of a landowner to sell water out from underneath other people's property. So we had to protect private property rights and groundwater. But I will, I will work and I'll file something that does combine some GCDs where you, you've got to represent, you've got to maintain local representation. So you want to make sure these counties are represented on whatever we do create or try to create. But we've got to have this conversation. That's what I've been doing for the last year is having this conversation, getting ideas from people. But I do know that these 11 GCDs are going to have loud and powerful voices to protect what's best for them. Mm -hmm. It's just unfortunate because I don't believe it's what's best for Texas. I don't believe it's what's best for Texans, and we've got to do that. And I've got to get them on the record to admit that, hey, I'm looking out for my own self-interest other than the interest of the entire state or this aquifer. We've got to protect this aquifer. We want to. I love aquifer storage and recovery especially in flood times, we've got to get that water underground so that we can protect that groundwater. So you're
0: hoping it'll spur a conversation.
4: Hey, I'd love to see something pass that we can come together and and maybe it's just to expand the authority of the Water Development Board just a little bit, maintain the groundwater conservation districts, but have some regulatory authority where if you've got a permit, we had a dentist in Dripping Springs that tried to get his office open for years, literally years, he built a building to have his dentist practice and they would not give him a permit. You had to wait for another election so that he could get his permit. And Senator's talking about people waiting eight eight, and nine years. It's unfortunate. We've got to make sure that doesn't happen. But at the same time, we've got to protect our groundwater.
0: Would you give that bill a hearing, Chairman?
4: I haven't seen the language. Well, We don't, we don't even know the language <laughs> but, yet. And I will certainly but, yeah. be working with him. And again, we're going to keep it here in this area, yeah, I think, to start I, I, out. I think it
2: goes back to what I said. I think as long as private property, as long as the science dictates that it doesn't need that individual district management style, you know, if it's a sand aquifer, it moves very little and it recharges very slowly. That's why we can get by with less than probably five in the entire Ogallala up in my region because there's just not a lot of action. Those that change really quick or those that have contiguous other aquifer systems that are impacted, maybe maybe they don't have to have as many. So that's a conversation that's going to be had. It is a political uh, minefield because you are, quote, messing. Now, I will say one th- aspect of the bill that if he were to draft today that extends authority for Chairman brown will not go anywhere, uh, giving authority to any, <laughs> not at them, but, but giving authority to the state at any more level over our water resources is a no-go uh, on so many levels.
6: Hmm.
2: It's a no-go on so many levels. We do a pretty good job on local levels managing our own resources to the best of our ability. Guidance is okay. More authority to make those decisions on a local level is best, (coughs) giving the state a centralized more aspect of how they manage our water. Not a good thing. Look at California.
0: Okay. As I ask this last question, um, y'all can start lining up with these microphones if there are questions. (coughs) um, I do want to ask, you know, what is a go for next session? What you guys see? There's going to be some repetitiveness here, but... What, what legislation will move, what, what changes do you think um, might be passed in, in the water realm next session? I
2: think, I think the interim report is going to be a really good report. I think it's going to be different. I think it's going to challenge Texas on some level to think a little bit bigger, a little broader on a lot of different levels. I think you will see some flood control initiatives and studies that will hopefully begin the basis for the diversion channels. I do think you'll have some discussions regarding water district if or not consolidation makes sense. I do think you're going to have pretty clearly some permitting uh, revisions. (coughs) And I do think the process in which challenging a water district on a DFC or something, even though we tweaked some things last session, the legal cost has become a barrier for an individual landowner to defend or acquire permitting. And so that process has to be completely reevaluated on we're a district court. We're so, and all those things move in there. We still haven't quite got that right to where a landowner can tr- truly challenge the system over something that he owns the property over to be able to use it for his his benefit. So so you're going to see a lot of those pieces of legislation and, and things there. Um, and then in a bigger picture, I think I'm going to look at the concept of Innovation Hub that we talked a little bit about earlier where daily or weekly, and I know Chairman gets this, uh, Broom and hey, I got an idea on how we can get water out of rocks, you know, whatever it may be. And I think there is a lot of great innovation in the industry sectors and other sectors that we are not capturing that. So I'm hoping to kind of come up with the concept of being able to warehouse those good ideas and make, make our institutions of learning hire a place to do some of those labs. Because if we do capture a lower energy cost for developing desal and pulling water up from the ground, then we have hit a home run because that's your largest cost. As saws in San Antonio, what is their largest cost of their water reuse project? It's the utility cost. It's the energy. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a clearinghouse of ideas of a lot of these little mom-and-pop satellites that are doing good things on a very small level. Can we expand those? So you'll see some of those. Representative Isaac, what are
0: you hearing in the
4: house? So you know some of the things that I'm going to work on, and I've, con- I've done this in the past, is being someone who represents one of the fastest-growing counties in the country, we get asked to do municipal utility districts, MUDs quite often make changes, give them road powers, and one of the things that our policy going forward will be that if you have a mud and you want to change to it or if you want a new mud created, you can't pull groundwater. So you're going to have to find surface water availability to, to manage that growth and continue to protect our groundwater our area. It's extremely vital with the springs that flow through Wimberley and San Marcos. Uh, it does bring in tourist dollars from out of town, and so it is extremely important. I think that's something we need to look at for economic development incentive dollars That if we want to attract a new business or a new manufacturing facility or more jobs to the state of Texas, that in order to get those dollars, we need to make sure that those companies are going to reuse their gray water on their facilities and mitigate the use of fresh water on lawns. It drives me crazy that we put drinking water on grass. I just can't stand it. Um, it, So we've got to do some things there. And so those are some of the ideas that I'm working on here during the interim. (laughs)
5: <laughs> You're right. Thank you. I'm Carol Olawan. I recently sat on the City of Austin's Flood Mitigation Task Force, and we looked at the issues that were facing Austin, and uh, finding that they had a neglected and underfunded uh, maintenance of their storm drainage systems, the things that we realized is that flooding is not just a local issue, but it's a regional issue because we have all the little jurisdictions, each one is doing their own thing, uh, cities, municipalities, and then we have counties that don't have any ordinance or development powers or funding, and we have all this growth, asphalt, concrete taking place, and there is no comprehensive plan. So a question is, what can be done from a more regional perspective to address flooding across these myriad of uh, political jurisdictions
0: that Chair sometimes don't... I'm okay. sorry. Okay. Chairman Brun, we haven't
1: heard from you in a little while. You sure. Know, well, uh, if you look at how the agency over the course of the, and as we continue to, uh, but over the course of the last several months has, has put the, what was a $6.8 million uh, emergency appropriation for flood mitigation and planning to, to a program that we, we have at the agency. This came to us last fall. The emphasis, uh, as directed by, by Governor Abbott, was get the money out quickly and, and identify areas where this truly is an emergency need, uh, first and foremost. So that's why you've seen uh, Wimberley being the best case in point, uh, that there were, there were no stream gauges upstream of Wimberley on the Blanco River prior to the Memorial Day flood of last year. Had there been any gauges, uh, a rain gauge, a stream gauge, could, you know, could that, t- that type of disaster have been averted? Who knows, but hopefully, maybe so. So we're trying to figure out where, where are there those places like that across the state as a place where the money should go to first. And that's, that's, been, the, that's been the first priority. But what's come along with that and, and where you've seen discussions about this in Chairman Perry's committee during the interim and, and other places is the big picture question that I think you're going more, to, more towards too is how do we plan regionally? Well, what can we do big picture? Not just the what are truly imminent emergency issues with lack of infrastructure, but the bigger projects. And we have programs that can assist Austin and others in putting those in place. Uh, but I think we, you're gonna see whether it's adding to the state water plan, putting something in, in the ongoing planning process that speaks specifically to what's happening with flood control in, across the state, to uh, actually we included in our LAR request um, some funds to, to contract a study to find out do we need to do a standalone state flood plan and what that exactly can look like. So I think we will have real answers to that question, hopefully in short order in the next session. And I do think
2: that Houston's flood, which is very sophisticated, has a coordinating regional effect. They have worked with cities in that area. So you need to talk to your regional partners and talk about IGTs, intergovernmental, (coughs) uh, our our MOUs, you know, of understandings in those events, and see if maybe you can come up with some Regional source of, of planning that kind of center to the plan, but I think Houston already does that in some of their areas with some of their other groups around them.
1: They've got the Harris County has a flood control district that was created years ago that that takes a um, a more active, larger view maybe than some other parts yeah. of the state. Be a good model uh, to look at. So trying to get everyone on the same page or, or get them understand, uh, give them the understanding of what the what the resources are and what, certainly how our agency can help uh, is uh, is definitely a goal of ours. But hopefully, I'd say stay tuned and we might see something more clear, uh, whether it's adding the state water plan or some separate plan that's, that the legislature would like the board to take part in here, you know, in short order.
3: One, one of the things that uh, in agriculture has happened about 50 years ago, all across our state in, in, in uh, headwaters, a lot of these uh, rivers were built uh, flood control dams. Uh, the life expectancy of those things were at the tail end of it. A lot of them are silted in. A lot of them are not uh, doing the job that they used to do. So, we need to work with our USDA partners, the Corps of Engineers, uh, to look at uh, updating those, maybe a- adding a few more structures, especially in the high-flood okay. uh, prone areas. Okay.
0: We'll go to this mic.
2: Uh, The first thing I don't want to do is thank Senator Isaac for bringing up uh, protecting groundwater. I thought I was going to go through this entire thing without hearing anything about protecting our natural water resources, because there's a lot more to water than flooding. And there's been a protest outside from 8 in the morning to now. It's still going on. It's going to be there until 8 o'clock at night talking. They're staying with Standing Rock and with their protest of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And also against the Big Bend Pipeline and similar things that we believe threaten our water resources, and we wonder what it is that you are doing to, to further protect us from uh, contaminants, such as the
4: ones that happened in Harris County, where we had to shut down our flood usage near um, the San Jacinto River. But the only issue that I can speak of on contaminants is some wastewater treatment projects that we're dealing with in Hayes County. There's one that's proposed. The City of Dripping Springs has proposed one and the City of Buda in conjunction with a Municipal Utility District has requested one that's east of 35 um, It seems that the one in dripping Springs is the one that's drawing the most attention And so I've requested a public meeting with TCQ Which is something that we can do as, as legislators if we request it It happens and that's scheduled for November 10th uh, in dripping Springs to deal with that one But I went ahead and requested one for Buda as well because it was, it was it was interesting to me that w- Why are we having this discussion west of 35, but we just don't care about the people that live east of 35 uh, last session, I had filed a bill uh, that would have limited the city of Austin or any municipality from contesting a case if they were contesting a case that didn't meet their own standards. I thought I called it the anti-hypocrisy bill. It was something that just drives me crazy because the city of Austin had come out and said, we're going to contest the case with this wastewater permit for Dripping Springs, even though the water and the effluent that they dump that they blend, it's my understanding, they just blend it and put it right down the Colorado River. It's like, you don't care about the people who live in Bastrop, but you're, you're very concerned about the people who live in Dripping Springs, which is not in the city of Austin. So we're gonna continue to work and make sure that these wastewater treatment plants are, if there is any discharge, and Dripping Springs is working. And it's, it's an issue, if you get a permit, you either have a storage permit, which my understanding is in Western Travis County, you had a, a wastewater facility that had a storage permit, you had all the flood and the water that we had, that water spilled over the edge. It's basically untreated wastewater going right down into our freshwater system, down creeks and streams, that's not good. If you do, but you either get the storage or a discharge. Even if you do a land application, which is what the city of Dripping Springs is trying to get, they don't ever want to discharge down Onion Creek, they want to do 100% land application, which is reuse and it cleans that water and that's a good thing to do. And so we're gonna try to work towards making that happen where they are doing land application. We want to see more of that and make sure that our our water is treated to the highest standard possible if it is ever discharged. And Commissioner Miller talked about you know, Israel and how they're reusing water. They're doing the same thing in Singapore through a plant called New Water, where they reuse their waste wastewater um, to do that. So we need to make sure there's more innovative things like that that are happening to protect not only the groundwater, but also the, the potential for surface water.
0: Chairman, hey, the, are there any... Oh, well, I'll ahead, just make there. a quick comment there. The
5: other thing that would be very useful is to recognize the water energy nexus in the planning processes. So we've got a 50 year water plan that looks out at the state's population, explores all sorts of possibilities for making sure that we have water supply, was creative in the use of conservation as an actual supply strategy, look up at no energy plan. And so part of the answer to your question is if, if we were thinking about energy at the same scale and depth as we're thinking about water, then we would understand where that nexus is working and where there might be problems, and and I think globally that's the whole key to the population growth is understanding it's actually food, water, energy nexus, and understanding those three. If you can solve those three things together, then you maybe can avoid some of these fights.
0: Chairman, I just wondered if there is his question I, any efforts in the Senate. Yeah,
5: I, I just say it this way: other than
2: the outliers like twenty-year floods or hundred-year floods, I took water treatment and water <laughs> wastewater treatment is was a really fun day. Uh, it's a, it's a crappy deal, but, uh, I would just say I was so thoroughly impressed with the technologies and where TCEQ has set those standards and that water that leaves that plant outside of the outliers, the, the floods and those things that are going to happen. I mean, it's just going to happen. And, and it's quick. TCEQ is on top of that, but that water is going back in better quality than, than was in the river. So. Yes. I, I, there's a lot of urban myth out there. I think a lot of times about people talking about we're just polluting our water, we're sending our fluid into the waters. Well, it's got to meet some really high standards to get that back into the process. But but saws and Austin was the other one I went through. If you could do it, you could take a tour and you could hold your nails long enough. It really wasn't that bad, but they really did a, a great job of cleaning that stuff up. So it's it's... It's not as what the general public hears. The reality is something a lot different, and those people take a lot of pride in taking care of that water system. Okay, go
0: to switch to the other mic.
6: Yeah, I wonder if any of you could comment to getting some more efficiency and innovation and conservation into the municipal development. I moved into a new house in a new neighborhood here in Austin two and a half years ago, and there's no rainwater catchment. There's no use of gray water. They put Bermuda grass lawns on every house. Um, we're doing things in agriculture and with our urban development, but can we do more or can y'all do more? My
2: my biggest complaint from my ag producers is they drive through the city of Lubbock and they see water running down the curb and going to the stormwater drains Mm -hmm. to water their fescue. If I could, if I was king for a day, I would outlaw fescue. I would probably outlaw St. Augustine and I would probably look a lot like Arizona, but I do not want the state to come into a municipal and set those rules for their locals. So if it is a passion that a city... Sur- I'm kind of just surprised that Austin may not be there. Uh, the purple pipe technology you speak about where a development goes in and that can be a separate processing place to where you can reuse your purple pipe, your gray waters and stuff as a municipal level. That's happening on new developments, but but as a state legislature, I would never come in and set a policy for a municipal, but I would hope the citizens of that municipality would say, we think this is a priority. Could you look at some ordinances? Uh, the second thing is, and it was said earlier, cities have to have money for water infrastructure. So the the, the, the irony or the sick. Part of this is, as you conserve, your water rates don't cover the cost of the the fixed cost of putting in the purple pipe. So it's a real, it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal. And I would tell you this, and we've had some of this discussion at the swift planning level. My biggest concern when we set that plan out is there would be soft cost creep. Engineers, architects, the soft stuff, not the water line. You know, when I used to do a little development, 10% was kind of a rule of thumb. And and I've asked Chairman uh, Brun to look at that to make sure if he sees because now taxpayer dollars are available at the trough for all to have, that that doesn't get out of hand. And I think he's doing a really good job and actually was ahead of the curve (laughs) when I asked if that was a consideration. They were looking at that. So I always want the dollars to go to the pipe, but you just got to watch it at every level. But I would not as a state legislature enforce that upon a municipal. But man, I wish municipals, I wish my city... You know, the minute it rained, we came out of stage watering requirements. <coughs> you know, one week, one water a week will keep a Bermuda grass looking really good. So I don't know why municipals have that other than there's a financial constraint they have to operate within.
3: One of the things, just to tag along with, with Chairman Perry, that we're working with the uh, nursery and landscape industry. We have a program called Water Smart, and we're educating. We have seminars where we sit down with uh, nursery professionals, landscape professionals, and train them how to get away from the St. Augustine grass and the fescue grass and go to water efficient and water smart plants and still have a beautiful landscape. And there's a lot of that here in Austin. Y'all should be proud of your city because you're doing a lot of that and you're kind of leading the way in that industry. But we're also, we're taking that into Houston and Dallas-Fort Worth, and, you know, all all across the state. So if you're interested in it, you go to watersmart.org and you can find out more information
0: Representative- Representative
3: oh, sorry, one, one other thing we haven't talked about, you know, there's only three sources of water. You, it becomes a, 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 a liquid, a solid, or a gas. We don't have much solid water. We get a little <laughs> snow melt in, in Rio Grande, and, of course, our two uh, liquid measures are our surface water and, and groundwater. But we've been working with, with, with an industry on atmospheric water production. I don't know if you're familiar with that or, or not. Uh, but it, you'll, you'll be seeing more more of that. It, it works really good when we come into these s- smaller cities that are running out of water or in emergency management where the uh, drinking water is, is tainted, uh, and it's just simply you know kind of like God makes dew. You just lower the dew point and have a condenser and, and collect it, and it's it's uh, like desalinization, It's getting more and more affordable. It'll never be on a large scale where you would, would do manufacturing or. or or provide drinking water for a city, but in certain instances, it, it does make sense. And I, I, and I was just going to ask you yeah. to rehash here. Yeah, you yeah,
0: might have missed committed. the part about so your So, on the creation
4: of new municipal utility districts that I do in the district that I serve, and this is where I would encourage you, if you are in a fast growth area like I am, where there are new neighborhoods that are coming up or proposed ten years from now, I do put some of those requirements on those municipal utility districts, and we'll continue to do so.
0: And you're considering legislation that would authorize county commissioners to create some kind of incentive? Yeah, the
4: incentive on the rainwater collection, yes. Absolutely. Allow them the ability to deduct the increased value of the rainwater collection system from their property tax valuation so that they don't have, they're not burdened by paying more property tax for doing the right thing.
5: I'll, and I would just point out, this conversation wouldn't be happening 10 years ago. We, you know, we would not be so focused on how can we get more efficient with our water use? How can we, you know, we wouldn't be talking about outlawing fescue That's in St. Right. Augustine. So
2: we have 28 million uh, people.
5: 10 right, years ago, but, like. but what I think is interesting about that is here we are, and, and we've got a state that has financing available to implement these ideas at a larger scale. We've got ideas yeah. that would allow every individual to do something that's productive. And I just think it's an interesting conversation that's Shit. come a long way in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Just so
4: everybody knows, in Dublin today, there are protests going on because Dublin is considering charging people for their water. Yeah, they, They're being protest today in Dublin, Ireland, because they're the government is proposing that people actually pay for their water. I'm glad you
3: cleared that up. I thought you were yeah. talking about my hometown. No, yeah.
4: no, 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 I, I thought that was just Dr. No. Pepper. <laughs> wow. um,
5: actually, represent. that was my next question. Is water too cheap?
4: Yes. 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 Next question. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, what, are we, what are we doing about that aspect of things? You know, it's one of these things, again, I don't know if we want to make it so much more expensive but we wanna try to find solutions that allow people to put rainwater collection on their homes. I I remember block walking in in an area outside of Wimberley and and I'm just, people are furious with the water company because they pay $110 just for the hookup and not even if they use a drop. And so it became a theme that I just started, hey, you're, you're mad at the water company. And it was common ground where we could build a conversation on. I finally get to one lady and she says, no, I'm not hooked up to the water company. I was like, really? And she's living off of rainwater collection. In the 10 or 12 years, she said she'd had to have a truck come out one time to bring her water. But she's self-sustaining, and so she's not paying those high water bills. I- again, the increase in cost of living would be my biggest concern for driving up the cost of water. But if we can create some incentives to not penalize people on their property taxes so that they will then go out and realize it's just like solar. Oh, it's not going to pay for itself in one day, but we're seeing more and more people... <laughs> adopt solar technologies on our homes because of work that we did in the Mm -hmm. legislature to allow people to do that because before homeowners associations could say you can't put solar in homeowners can say now you can't put rainwater collection in so we need to fix that but we need to encourage the use of that so that ideally for some people water may be free but we don't want to increase the cost because then you're going to increase it's going to have an impact on the least among us more than anyone else
5: you you know there are rate structures that actually cost force you to pay more. The more water you use, the yes. more incrementally expensive it gets. Austin, for example, has that mm-hmm. kind of rate structure. What we haven't done is create a rate structure that incents people to become conservationists. So right That's now... Exactly. Yeah. You, have a, you right? have a rate structure, but is the rate structure at? It's because we spend too much time punishing the big water users, which is a great thing to do. But we could create conservationists out of the average family in Texas cities if we rewarded them for using less than exactly. X amount of water. And, and we do it in energy already, by the way. If somebody puts a solar panel on their roof, we treat them as an energy producer. Well, if somebody is using below some level of water, then they are actually uh, protecting water supply in the future. And I think that kind of, that kind of rate model exactly. would yeah. go a long way to creating conservation. And, and those and rate housing. models,
4: yeah, those rate models are working. Because if you asked my staff if we pay enough for water, they'd say we pay too much. Because over right. the last three weeks, our phone has been blowing up <laughs> from people that live in the very neighborhood that I live in. That are have that have been affected by this rate structure, and so they're paying high. And they're when you look at their usage, it's absurd. You know, 50 to 75,000 gallons of water per month. They should be paying a lot. So they're going to be forced through their pocketbook to conserve, which I think is is a good thing. My water bills have not done that. They're you know $100 a month, and uh, we we try to conserve as much as we can. But to the thousand dollar water bills that some of my neighbors are getting, they're not too happy. So. Maybe in this situation, again, my staff would say, yes, there are more than enough.
0: We have time for one more question.
6: Uh, Yes, hi. Uh, My name is Delia Lugo. I I live in uh, SD-17. And I have the same concern um, as regard to our water conservation, especially in relation to uh, Standing Rock in North Dakota. Well, I'm worried about the situation that we have in Texas now. I live in Houston. And we already have, like, Aldine East, they had a problem where they had a contamination from a company, and they had to sue in order for the company to clean up the water. And now there's, a what, East End? Their water is contaminated. They don't drink out of the tap, no. They drink out of a bottled water. What- Same thing as Alden East.
0: What is your question?
6: My question is, what, what kind of uh, better uh, legislation can we have to make sure that, you know, something stringent, to make sure that companies that contaminate our water, instead of giving the dollar, will really clean up the water and make sure we have water to drink.
3: There's a a movement in Congress. There was several years back. It's kind of old and antiquated, but the Clean Drinking Water Act, uh, that is now going back back through the House, and they're reworking that to address, uh, you didn't mention it, but like, issues of Flint, Michigan, and some things like that. Uh, so it's, they'll probably update that, and it'll, it'll probably work its way through, and hopefully it'll give you some relief.
0: To our lawmakers, I mean, access to clean drinking water and, and you know, low-income areas is a huge issue, especially along the border. We did a big series on it. Are there any efforts at the state level to address access to clean drinking water in and, and low-income areas? Uh, well, The well, lawmakers I, I, are I chairman? There,
1: there, I'll, I'll point out a, a request that is part of our LAR that speaks to continued funding of the Economically Distressed Areas program mm-hmm. that, uh, that's a, a state program that we've had at the board for some time that was established back in the 80s, uh, initially to focused on colonials along the border, now has state, statewide jurisdiction, but is focused on providing some either very low interest uh, financing or some grant money. For first time water, wastewater services to, to economically. So, you've asked area. for more
0: funding for that? We, as part of our
1: LAR, we've asked for continued funding of and that.
2: And I would just say infrastructure is a challenge down there, but in my district alone, I've been in areas where col- col- the, the colonists was uh, actually better shape than in my area. So, so it okay. comes down to economic development, vibrant city, and economy where you can get a tax base up to fix those things. Legislature's been pretty diligent in, in years of trying to change the dynamics in those areas, but it's not something we need to ignore, but I I think they're not unique is where I'm going with that. There's areas of the state in West Texas Mm -hmm. that have the similar issues, but you also got to remind yourself, how do you get that, it's tax-based growth, it's economic, it's vibrant, it's jobs, and all of those things work together to where they can have their own infrastructure and not depend upon a legislature that every two years may be short on funding. So, the state, the-, the
0: state doesn't have a role to play in that? No, I
2: think your state always yeah. has a role in that. We have funding available for, i.e., there's uh, grants that are uh, forgivable grants through the SDA. I know that Senator, I mean, uh, Commissioner Miller here sends ag uh, through the SDA program to those local rural areas that have needs like that. So, there is funding available for evolving uh, loan funds of $6, six Do we add two to it? Eight, I think $8, eight billion now. So there is access to money, but it comes down to, as a state, do we pay for all of those or do we not pay for those, and we try to make economies work on their own to be able to accommodate
3: them. You mentioned the the colonialism in, in the Rio Grande and in, in the distressed areas down there. Two things that, that work we're, we're working on that area of the state, and it pertains more to, to the agriculture end of it than it does the, uh, the individual. We're
0: being shut off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. We
3: have a, a water treaty with Mexico on the Rio Grande. It's, it's, established in 1944, and even though the Rio Grande, most of that water it, uh, originates in the United States, they get half of it, uh, they haven't helped that treaty, they, they've been hoarding that water. I had a good meeting with the, uh, their agriculture secretary, Enrique Martinez, Martinez, and so there's some light at the end of the tunnel, we may be working on that, and also we have a, a great uh, water rob going on up and down the Rio Grande in Salt Cedar. And sea cane, mm-hmm. uh, it's huge water use. So I'm going to be coming to the, to the okay. legislature and see if we can get a program to eradicate that. Not only does it uh, uh, rob a lot of water that would actually reach that uh, lower Rio Grande Valley, and that's in our winter garden area where we grow most of our produce and vegetables, but it also, in our citrus producing area of the state, is it's not getting down there. But it also is a hiding place for the the cartels and, and the drug smugglers up and down. I've had visited with uh, Colonel Steve McCraw on several occasions that we're trying to figure out some way, come to the legislature, maybe uh, Senator Perry or, or Jason can help us uh, come up with a program to eradicate that, which would be a huge water saving uh, for that area of the state also. Same thing with cedar tree eradication yes, here in Central mm-hmm. Texas. Yes, yeah. sir. All right,
0: thanks to our panelists, and just a reminder, there's a reception at HMC. <laughs>